Thank you, Sandy. I feel like I've been set up for a really big message, um, and we'll see how we go. Uh, but, you know, I, I was thinking about this year, and it's a, it's a really interesting start of the year, isn't it? I think that there are people that are thinking, you know, 2021 can't be any worse than 2020. So you're, you're thinking just positive thoughts. And then there are other people that are like, well, 2020 was the way it was, and we started off all like, yeah, 2020, new decade, it's going to be amazing, and then look what happened. <laughs> and so you're a little bit worried, and you know, Queensland doing Queensland things, and all the, basically the rest of Australia not really gone the way that we are. Yeah, this is perfect. Um, maybe you're a little bit worried, or maybe you're still a little bit traumatised, and you're thinking, you know what, I don't even want to think about tomorrow yet. I'm just getting through today because who knows what our uh, premier is going to do tomorrow. Maybe we'll be locked in our houses again for the next two weeks. Or, and, and, you know, I think all of those are valid responses to what is taking place in the very volatile, crazy world that we are in. But I want to tell you today why I am excited about this year. And I want to tell you why I believe that God is doing something really uh, amazing in our midst over the course of this year. Uh, some of you may have been around over the end of last year, and you know that our theme this year is Kingdom Here. Uh, we put stickers on every seat. I've put mine on my Bible. Um, and we will talk more about Kingdom Here through the course of today. That is our theme. And today I want to set up why I believe that Kingdom Here is actually a message or perspective for us for this year and probably for the rest of our lives. And it is um, two things. I want to show you why Kingdom Here is one, absolutely necessary. If you don't live with the Kingdom Here perspective, you will find destruction. I will show that to you in the Bible today. And the next thing I want to show you is that Kingdom Here is the most empowering and most beautiful, most awesome thing you can do for yourself. Stop all those stupid self-love, self-care therapies and start with a Kingdom Here perspective and you are going to find something really amazing for your life. So are you ready for that? Kingdom here, 2021, going to be amazing. And um, let's start with John 10, verses 1 to 10. And it says this, Jesus is talking. He says, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, this is the explanation for what he has just said. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, this is probably a pretty um, 
known passage for us at this church because our vision is based on John 10 verse 10. Uh, our vision is to inspire people to live. We want people to find life. What kind of life? The Jesus kind of life. The, the one that Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Or I like the message version. It says, I came so that they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. We want to see people living. That is what our church is all about. That is what we exist for. That is what we want to help people encounter, the life that Jesus has made available to us. And through that, over the last 18 months, I was thinking about this. What does the Jesus life look like? What does it mean to be living in the fullness of Jesus' life that He provides for us? Does it look like our own lives? Does it look different? Does it look completely different? Do we float on the clouds? Do we grow and sprout wings? Do we never have to eat again? Or maybe even better, we eat all the time but never put on weight. That is my wish, that the Jesus life would be we can go to every single shop in Vic Park and we can eat till our heart's content, not have to pay and never put on weight. That would be amazing. That would be the kind of life that I'm like, come on, Jesus, that is my request, all the way up to heaven to the top level and say, God, if you want to have any suggestions about what your life should look like, it should look like this. That would be my thought. But, you know, I was really looking at this and thinking, especially over the last couple of years, thinking, what is this Jesus life? How do we know that we are truly living in the life that Jesus provides for us? What does that look like? And over the last year, I have got to say, I, I don't know how much you are going to like what the Bible says about this, because I didn't really like it. You know, it, it, it's, it's a little bit challenging. It's not very nice. You see, I started to find a, a pattern in Scripture that describes the Jesus life. And the way that the Jesus life is described is that you either take it all or you have none of it. The Jesus life is actually put in contrast to death. And this really shook me up because when I was growing up, and for lo the longest time in my life, I thought that, let's say this um, beaker is my life. For those that are listening on podcasts, it's the worst beaker you've ever seen. Um, but you know, this is my life, and I, I, I've got all of this life, or, oh man, how do I say? Uh, it's, it, I've got life in there. And then I realized that this life isn't that great, that it actually has a lot of sin, right? That's what the Bible calls. Um, and sin is destructive, and it isn't that great. And so I'm like, oh, no, I need to repent. And so I get rid of some of that. Um, so I still have some of my life, because I don't think that I'm all that bad, you know? I don't think that I'm all sinful. And so I keep a little bit of my life, and then I get a whole bunch of Jesus' life. Yep. So that's kind of the picture that I think most Christians actually got. If you think about it, when you think about your life being filled with Jesus, is it complete or is it a portion? And, and, and I thought about this and I'm like, you know, I don't think I'm that bad. I, I, I think I try to do good. And the thing is that I've got my dreams and my aspirations I've got my likes and my dislikes. I've got my personality, the way that I see the world. I've got my perspective. I've got just things that I would really like to do. 
Uh, and not all of that is bad. What's wrong with taking a vacation? What's wrong with seeing the sights? What's wrong with enjoying life? What's wrong with eating from every restaurant in a big park? There's nothing wrong with that. So uh, maybe there can be this coexisting of my life with Jesus's life. And that's kind of the picture that I lived with for many years. But then the more I look through scripture, especially over the last year, I started to see that there can't be this differentiation between my life and Jesus's life. In fact, when the Bible talks about my life, there's a word that keeps coming up and it's called the flesh. And it keeps talking about my flesh as something to crucify. <laughs> Why? And then it says, if I want any of Jesus's life, I need to crucify myself in order to be filled with the life that God has for me. And the Bible is pretty black and white about this. I'm like, come on God, surely there can be some kind of compromise that we can have. But Jesus seems to tell us that we either have real life or we have nothing. It is this or this. You can call it death if you want, or nothing. Temporary stuff. And I'm going to show you in Scripture how it describes that. And you're not going to like it, but I think it's good for you. It's kind of like the medicine that you have to take because you're sick. So there we go. Your pastor just called you all sick people. John 12, 24 to 26, this is what it says. Listen carefully, unless a grain of wheat is buried in the ground, dead to the world, it is never any more than a grain of wheat. But if it is buried, it sprouts and reproduces itself many times over. In the same way, anyone who holds on to life just as it is destroys that life. But if you let it go, reckless in your love, you have it forever, real and eternal. Did you see that? Anyone who holds on to life just as it is, destroys that life. But whoever lets it go, reckless in your love, you will have it forever, real and eternal. And, and it goes on to say, if any of you wants to serve me, then follow me. Then you'll be where I am, ready to serve at a moment's notice. The Father will honor and reward anyone who serves me. If any of us hold on to life as it is, we'll simply destroy it. And I, I thought about this. Does that mean that we don't get to keep any of me? Well, the problem, and I'm going to continue to describe this, is that maybe we don't even know what me or who me really looks like. And that is something that Jesus wants to rectify in our lives. He is bringing us on this journey. I love you read the message version of John. I challenge you to read the message version of John. And you see how Eugene Peterson, the translator, writes the book of John through the lens of Jesus bringing life. In John chapter 1, in the message version, he says this, this is the the life bringer, the light bringer, the one who is able to restore you to your true self. And I, when I read that, I was like, that's what the light does. That's what the life does. He is transforming me to my true self. And so if I'm holding on to my old self, I am not able to transform to my new self. I am saying, God, you don't know what you're doing, but I know what I'm doing. 
and we hold on to it. And what Jesus says is that when we do that, we end up destroying that life because we don't even get the Jesus life either. Paul explains in Romans 2, 5 to 8, you're not getting away with anything. Every refusal and avoidance of God adds fuel to the fire. <laughs> That's nice. Thanks, Paul. The day is coming when you're going to blaze hot and high. God's fiery and righteous judgment. Make no mistake. In the end, you're going to get what's coming to you. Real life for those who work on God's side, but for those who insist on getting their own way and take the path of least resistance. Fire. That's all it says. Plain and simple, A or B, black or white, life or death. I don't like that. Why does Jesus carry this do it my way or else kind of a message? Why does a God who loves me carry this message of do it my way or I will reject you? Or that's how it sounds like in my mind. Why does it sound like I either have 100% obedience or you categorize me as this rebellious, death-deserving person? Why does the Bible talk about it that way? Does anything that I carry have any worth? Why are you asking me to empty myself of all that I thought was me? Those were the messages, those were the thoughts, those were the things that I had to work through as I started to try to understand what real life looks like. And so I came to John chapter 10. And John chapter, chapter 10 is really interesting. And when we read John chapter 10, we remember um, the metaphor that Jesus uses. He says uh, in John chapter 10 that I am the good shepherd. I'm the one who rescues you. I'm the one who looks after you. I'm the one who protects you. We love the good shepherd, right? How many people, when you read about Jesus as shepherd, it gives you the warm fuzzies. You know that he's going to chase after you when you go missing. You know that he's going to be the one that when you wander away, he's going to come after you and he's going to put you on his shoulders. He's the one that was this, there's this, um, uh, we, we, we listened to Mr. Donut Man all the way down to uh, Margaret River for uh, Sam um, because it was the only album that would keep him quiet on the long car ride that we did this week. And Mr. Donut Man was uh, someone that I grew up with. He's a child entertainer. and uh, Not entertainer, he's a child worship leader, if you will. And he has all these amazing songs and he uses scripture and he talks about the good shepherd. He, he anoints my, my head so that the flies don't come to me. That the, the, his rod and his stuff, they comfort me. We love the Good Shepherd, but you know what? I never grew up ever singing a song about Jesus the gate. Jesus the gate. It sounds a little bit scandalous. Jesus the gate. You know, it's like Jesus gate. It's like Watergate. And it's about, you know, all those kind of other gates. Why does Jesus associate himself with a gate? Do you know this? When you read John chapter 10, in, in verses 7 to 10, it says, Therefore Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate. He does say that he's a shepherd later on. He does talk about how he protects us, how he's not just some kind of hired hand, that he is there for us every single moment, every single day. But he first describes himself as a gate. Jesus the gate is not very appealing. I don't know. Well, what do you do with the gate? What does the gate do? And I started to think about this. Why does Jesus describe himself as a gate? He describes himself as a gate because Jesus, the Jesus life that he wants us to have, 
comes within the boundaries that Jesus sets. Jesus the gate is also maybe better understood as Jesus our boundary line. And he goes on to describe that, that when, ye, when we have Jesus as our gate, he is able to show us when the thieves and the robbers are coming and so we don't listen to them. He is able to ensure that no one can come into the sheep pen to steal from you. And so Jesus the gate is a protective measure, but Jesus the gate also allows us to know when it is safe to go out to find pasture, but also when to come back when it's time to find safety. Jesus the gate, the boundaries in our life, when it is set by Jesus, allows us to stay in life. And that's what we need to understand when Jesus is saying you either have full of, we are full of his life or we don't get it. This idea of boundaries are really important. You see, according to Jesus, there are two main forces at work in our lives. There are only two that Jesus describes. Uh, we, we tend to personify ourselves in the middle sometimes. You know, there are all these pop reference cultures where I'm here and then there's a little devil and then there's a little angel. No, no, no. That is not how we work. It is either we are living under Jesus' commands or we're living under Satan's or the enemy's or sin's commands. That's how the Bible describes it. And so in John chapter 10, verse 10 in particular, it talks about the thief and what Jesus Jesus does. And let's look at what the thief does because it's really important that we understand the thief. The thief is our enemy. Maybe we can call him Satan. Maybe we're not more used to that, but he's the enemy. And the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, I looked into these words. I did a little bit of a study or I read a commentary about this, and it's actually really interesting. The word steal is in the Greek, the word klepto. If you want me to spell it, it's spelled klepto. And for some of you, maybe that sounds a little bit familiar because that's how we got the word kleptomaniac. Who knows what a kleptomaniac is? A person who has this uncontrollable urge to steal. One thing about a kleptomaniac that confuses most people is that the kleptomaniac does not need what the kleptomaniac steals. It is not about what they are stealing, it is about the thrill of the steal. And that's what the thief wants to do. You see, our enemy has got nothing. They can't do anything with our life. He's already been sentenced to eternity in, uh, in damnation. That's, that's what he, he, he does not get to collect our lives and then maybe get out of hell. No, 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 no. He's already been sentenced, but he has this, this deviant, this broken, this uncontrollable urge to steal. And so the enemy is a klepto. And another... another um, uh, uh, a way that we can understand klepto is that he is a masterful pickpocket. That's what this word in the Greek represents. And so uh, we all know what pickpockets do. They, do they, they have really sticky fingers and they're able to reach into our bags, into our pockets, and they're able to take things without us knowing. And so this is how Jesus describes our enemy. He is one who steals without us knowing. And he does it not because he gets any gain from it. He does it because it is a deviant personality within himself. He does it because he cannot stop himself. He's doing it to just take away from you without you even knowing. You know, I've spoken to a lot of Christians in my life. 
And oftentimes I speak to people who are in, in bad situations or, or, or difficult situations and they say, I don't know how I got here. I don't know, I used to be so on fire for God. I used to be, I used to love Jesus. I used to read my Bible. I used to do all of these things. I don't know what happened. You know what happened? You lived outside the boundary lines of what Jesus has set. And the enemy was stealing without you even knowing. I love it when people come back to church after a little while. You ask them and without fail, they will say, I walked into church today and I felt something different. There was something in here that I miss that I did not have for all. What was it? It was life. You walked into the boundary lines that Jesus had set and you experienced life. You walked outside the boundary lines and without knowing that life is being stolen from you and you don't even know it. So that's what the enemy does. But Jesus goes on further and he says that the enemy steals, kills. The second word is kills. Now the picture in my mind when it says that the enemy kills is that the enemy gets some kind of dagger, comes up to you, stab, slit, stab, somehow kills you, right? Big graphic, been watching too many movies. But the enemy kills. And we see in our mind when we see the word kills is that the enemy is taking the action to do the killing right? Now the Greek does not mean that. The Greek word for that is thuo. Thuo. So it's like thou, but with a U and O flipped around. And the word thuo is, I don't know if I'm pronouncing them right, by the way. If you go to some Greek island and you say these words and they slap you around because you said a swear word, it's, it's not my fault. But anyway, the enemy Kleptos and thuos. The word thuo actually means animal sacrifice. So when you go to the temple and you sacrifice an animal, you are thuoing the animal. That's my terrible Greek. But that's what you are doing. The, enemy, the, the animal loses its life because you have thuoed it. And so what does this mean when it says that the enemy comes to steal, kill, or throw us? See, the enemy does not so much kill us as much as he causes us to sacrifice our life. See, it's not the enemy's killing. You're doing the killing because of what the enemy has set around you. So don't blame the enemy for you losing life because you're the one that is stabbing yourself wherever you're stabbing yourself. You see, this is how the enemy works. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 3. It's not on the screen. You can have it in your Bible. But we see in Genesis chapter 3 the fall of humanity. And we have a serpent that is called the enemy. It's more crafty than any of the other animals. It is Satan incarnate for some reason. I don't know how it all works. But the serpent comes to Eve. And the serpent speaks to Eve and says, Are you... Did God say that you're not allowed to eat from any of the trees? Remember that? Remember they were set in the Garden of Eden and they said you can eat from any of the trees including the tree of life. So Adam and Eve, remember this, had access to life. Remember this, they had full, complete access to life at this point. The serpent comes and says, are you not allowed to eat from the trees? And Eve goes, well, no, we're allowed to eat from any of the trees, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we're not allowed to eat. And she kind of goes on and says, that if you even touch the fruit, we will die. And now, many people have wondered about this whole tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What does that mean? 
Basically, scholars mainly come to this agreement that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil represents the ability for humankind to judge what is good and evil by ourselves. So Adam and Eve were able to do everything, but they were living under basically the moral law of God. And so the, the, the serpent comes and says to Eve, you want this ability because it will make you like God. It will make you have a better life than you already have. But think about this. If there, there are more than 6 billion people on the face of the planet, if there are 6 billion different moral codes, which kind of is what is happening, it leads to the disasters that we see in the world today. If we are all living according to one singular moral code, we will not have the destruction, the envy, the killing, uh, the, the, uh, the hatred, the anger, the frustration that we have in this world because we are all submitting to the same moral code. But because of our ancestral line where we have eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we all want to judge what is good and evil for myself. And so we make these rules for ourselves because the serpent told Eve, when you do this, you'll be like God. And so what does the serpent say? When you read Genesis chapter 3, and Eve says, if I eat from this tree, if I eat of this fruit, I will die. What does the enemy say? You will surely not die. So what the enemy does when he thwows us is that he paints situations and scenarios where what looks like, what, looks, what, what is life is painted as death or less than, not as good as, and he paints death as desirable. And so we end up choosing death, sacrificing life, in order to take hold of what is less than. Does that make sense? Yeah. Are you following me? Do you see how we plunge the dagger into our own hearts? When we live according to our own thinking and our own ways, what we forget is that my old life was full of these lies and deception of how life looks like. The enemy is still continuing to kill, steal, and destroy from us because I'm still trying to learn what God is saying is life and what truly is death because I've lived for so long not being familiar and not being sure of what truly is life because of the enemy's thubo. So think about this. Every time you reject God, every time you reject something in the Bible, you're accepting death and rejecting life. See, that Eve know that that would lead to uh, uh, the removal of access to the tree of life? I don't think so. I don't think she was thinking that far. I don't think she was thinking about what is God going to do about this. She just thought, oh, that looks really good. And so sometimes in our life, we're just going through like window shopping. It's going through, oh, that looks good. We're watching this TV show and it puts forward some idea, oh, that's good. I'll have some of that. But we're not thinking when I have that is removing access to life. Wow. When I have this, I'm losing access to life. Wow. When I have this, I'm losing access to life. Yeah, 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 you can hold on to your need for revenge. 
Yeah, you can hold on to your need for hatred. You can hold on to your need for unforgiveness. You can hold on to your need for self-sufficiency and self-security. You can hold on to all of that. But that does not go with Jesus' life because you are living outside the boundary lines of what Jesus has said. You are living under the jurisdiction of the enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy you. The word destroy is very easy. It just means utter ruin. The enemy will keep stealing from you if he can, and he'll keep convincing you to sacrifice until you get to a place of utter ruin. And the enemy works really hard. Works hard. There's one good thing I can say about Satan is that he's a hard-working guy. He knows that he's going to spend eternity in hell, so he might as well do as much destruction in the meantime. He's not sitting back playing PS and just waiting for the day of judgment to come. He's at work. But the Bible describes him as a roaring lion. Why? Because when we live according to the boundary line set by Jesus, the enemy cannot do anything. And so let's flip the coin. What does Jesus do? Jesus says that he came that we may have life and life abundantly. The word may have in the Greek, it means to have today and continue to possess. That's what the Greek word means. I forgot what the Greek word is. I didn't write it down. But it means to have today and to continue to possess. Some people, when we read John chapter 10, and we say that Jesus came to have life and life abundantly, we think about eternal life after death. We think about this going to heaven thing. When I go to heaven, I have life and life eternal. No, no, no. Jesus said that I want you to have life today and continue to have it. That is my intention, that you have life today and continue to have it. And the life that he's talking about is the Greek word Zoe. Z-O-E. If you want to name your daughter that, it's a great name. Why? Because it means life that is full of vitality. It is life full of passion. It is life full of energy. It is life that is able to accomplish. It is a life that is not sitting back, just going through a daily existence. It's a life where you are winning. You are going for it. It's a life that is not waiting for breakthrough. It's a life that is breaking through. It's a life that is going for it. It's not scared of risk and sitting back. The life that God has for us is Zoe means life filled with vitality. But then Jesus goes on to say something interesting. He says that you might have Zoe life, life filled with vitality and life overflowing. The Greek word for overflowing, very easy. It means overflowing. (laughs) It means that we don't just have life that is filled with vitality, but it's life that is already, already overflowing. It is not just filled to the brim, it is filled to more than enough. If I expend some Zoe today, I've got Zoe for tomorrow. I've got Zoe for weeks to come. I've got Zoe. It's like the Christmas dinner that just cannot be finished. There's leftovers in the fridge for tomorrow. We keep eating off that. It's the Zoe abundance that God has for us. And so Jesus says, you live within the gate, you watch the gate, and you have life and life overflowing. You don't watch the gate. You get the kleptomaniac that causes you to sacrifice everything that you love. Why is it black and white? Why is Jesus asking us to give up our old lives? 
He's not asking us to give up anything of ourselves. He's asking you for a renewal so that you can understand what life really looks like. When we talk about the kingdom here message, we're talking about a life that Jesus has given to us. You see, when Jesus first came onto this earth and he started his public ministry, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. He says, the kingdom of heaven is near, is nearly here. What is it waiting for? Why is it only near? Why is it not here? It's because Jesus was still bringing a demonstration of the kingdom to come. And so when he started to heal, when he started to teach, when he started to reach out to people, when Zoe life started to flow amongst wherever he was going, he changed the message to repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven is upon you. What we need to understand is that the kingdom here message is us understanding that I can't live according to that old way anymore. There is no way that we can mix the old life with the new life. The Bible is extremely clear. I'm gonna show you one more passage in just a moment. But what we have is Jesus coming. And why does he say repent for the kingdom of heaven is near? It's because we are saying, we are turning around. I used to live in one direction. I used to live thinking that this is what I need to pursue. I used I used to think that this is what I should desire. I used to think that this is how I should conduct myself. This is what my decisions are based on. But now that I've seen the king and the king offers me life, I need to turn around in order to be able to access the life that he has given to me. We do not access life without repentance. Because life isn't coming to me when I'm living outside the boundaries of where life exists. I only access life when I've repented and say, I need to live according to those boundaries. The kingdom year message is a message that, where are the boundary lines in your life? I want to remind myself in the decisions that I'm making today, in the decisions that I'm making in my everyday life, are they within the boundaries that God has set? Or are they within the jurisdiction of the enemy? But some of us think that when we uh, come into the boundary lines of God, we think that it's kind of little, tiny little box. It has more do nots in it. And I'm really worried that living according to the Jesus life is really small. But the Bible tells us that the boundary lines that you have set for my life is pleasant. You allow me to roam in wide, open spaces. So you know what that box represents? The klepto thuo life. The enemy has boxed you up. You know one of the biggest reasons why people struggle in their life? It's because of fear. This is something that I've learned over the last few years in my studies We become small when we live according to fear. And the enemy is the master of making you afraid of stuff. He says, you're going to miss out if you don't eat from that tree. He says, you're going to miss out if you don't work overtime. You're going to miss out if you keep giving God all of your money. You're going to miss out if you give all your time to God. You're going to miss out if you don't get a job within the next two days. 
You're going to miss out if you don't have X amount of money in your bank account. You're going to miss out. You're going to miss the train. You're going you're gonna to go down. I was watching this. We watched this show ages ago. Don't, don't recommend it. But Kevin Hart's in it. And he was talking to this guy. And he just kept talking about, you know, if you skip this one class, if you skip this one class, you're going to bum out of school. When you bum out of school and etc. he basically went on and taught this whole thing where he said, you know, if you skip this one class, you're going to lose your feet and you're going to live in a box. <laughs> and I'm like, how did that work? What was the thought line between you miss one class and you lose your feet and live in the box? It was really funny in the moment. But that's what the enemy does. He says, if you miss out on this opportunity that I'm giving to you, take this job, even though it requires you to work Sundays. Take this opportunity, take this relationship, because if you don't have this relationship, you're going to be cast aside in the dirt. Have this drink because you don't look cool enough. You're not going to have friends. You're going to live in a box. Well, you know what? What is Jesus saying? See, the kingdom here message, that's why we got stickers, not because we are childish. (laughs) No, I like stickers. But it's so that you have a visual representation. When you wake up, when you hold your phone, when you, whatever you put your sticker on, you look at it and you go, what's kingdom here today? Because I'm done living according to the jurisdiction of an enemy that seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And I want to live according to the boundary lines of what my God is saying because I want an overflowing, abundant life. The enemy is really good at making you fear even God. You think he really likes you? You think he will trust you? Why would he give you life? You stink. You don't deserve it. What have you done? You led a church before? You went to Bible college? You read your Bible today? He sows these little doubts in our mind that God really loves us. See, the message of Jesus' gate is not complete without Jesus' shepherd as well. Yes, Jesus is the gate and he shows us the boundary lines, but Jesus is also the shepherd who will seek after the lost, who will go after you when you have gone out of the boundary lines. We need both Jesus, the shepherd, but what is the point of Jesus, the shepherd, when us, as the stupid sheep, keep jumping out of the pen? Right? I can just imagine Jesus going, oh, stupid sheep. Here they go again. Why do you want death? Come back. Puts us back into the pen. Oh, there we go. You know what the shepherd does sometimes? It breaks the sheep's legs so they can't run. (laughs) That's what some of us need. 2021, the year of broken lamb chops. Because we are so stupid that we keep seeking death instead of life. I'm not trying to say anyone is stupid because this is the human condition that we live in. When I was looking at this message, it challenged me. Even in the things that I'm doing that are good, I'm leading a church, I can lead this church in my own strength and in my own ways. I can get caught up in all the lies and the, what the enemy is saying to cause me to fear. And there are times where I go, Why? Am I so worried? Because I've been living outside of Zoe life. And so kingdom here 
is about us coming back and understanding the boundary lines of God, accessing the Zoe abundance of God. It's not about, you know, kingdom here is not about casting out demons or healings or miracles. It might come to that, but at the core of it, what's the point of being able to do all of that when on the inside you're still wrecked, still broken, still worried, still bound up? You know, this year I get this sense that there's a freedom that is coming to our church. A freedom that is coming where you're not so bound up by all the expectations that you use to live by. We're done with that. I'm done with that. If you're not done with that, you're going to get really challenged this year. Hopefully at some point you will listen to the message of repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. But at the same time, whenever we fail, we've got the shepherd. And whenever you want to repent, life is here. As long as you're still living, as long as you still got breath, which we don't know how much we got off, you still get to come back. You still get to find life. Next week, the anointing gathering is about us hearing a word from God to help you start to align your life. It is not about prophesying million-dollar lottery ticket over your life. What is about saying, hey, I sense that God is talking about this little adjustment. God is saying this is the goal. God is saying this is the expectation. God is saying to let go of some old things. God is saying, God is saying, God is speaking. God is bringing life and life abundantly. As we fast, as we pray, is it just a religious thing? I'm fasting and praying so that the money bag drops at my door. No, no, I'm fasting and praying because... I know there are so many distractions in this world and I need to align myself. God, what are you saying? What are you saying? What are you saying for my situation? What are you saying for my day? What are you saying with this blessing? What are you saying with this difficulty? What are you saying with my everyday? As we fast, as we pray, we're saying I'm letting go of some desires in my life, whether it's food or technology or whatever it is, in order to align and to go, God, what are you saying? It's kingdom here. Every message series this year is going to be tinged with this sense of what does kingdom here look like in this sphere. In Feb, we're going to talk about relationships. What is kingdom here for relationships? Not just romantic, parental relationships, marriage relationships, friendships. What is God saying for friendships? We're going to talk about our identity in Christ. This is a big thing for us. It is something I learned. The world can only give you self-esteem, but God can only give you self-worth. See, self-esteem is how we feel about our worth. Our worth is what we really are worth. Yeah. You see, the world can only give us a sense and a feeling of how we feel about ourselves. But the world often gives us esteem based on an action that it requires you to continue. Yeah. So if you starve yourself in order to be liked by other people, the only way to continue with that esteem is to continue to starve yourself. But when we come back to how God talks about our worth, we come back to a place of knowing, hey, I'm a child of God. Yeah. We're calling that series Sons and Daughters. It's about the adoption that comes from God. It's going to be amazing. I love this. We're going to talk about justice this year because the Bible is so full of what justice looks like. It's all about, when we talk about kingdom here, we cannot not talk about how kingdom is supposed to look like in our culture, in our society. How are we as Christians meant to be ambassadors of the kingdom 
wherever we are. We're going to talk about all of these different things. We'll talk about mental health. We'll talk about uh, uh, different books in the Bible as well. But this is what this is all about. Real life. So we get the band up this morning. I just get the sense this morning that it's not about, it really is just about us having a moment and going, God, I want kingdom here. Help me repent. Help me trust. Help me know that you are good. Help me come back to you. Help me let go of my hurt, my pain, my insecurity. I believe this morning as I've been speaking, something has been knotting up in people's stomachs. Oh, that wasn't God condemning me to a life of death. That was me choosing death. But now God is saying there is life. There is hope. So repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. Can we stand this morning? I'm going to pray. I'm going to close because that's our time this morning. But if you want to just spend a little bit of time, I'm sure the band will be more than happy to minister, to continue to sing. But I pray that for you, it's your heart that is being dealt with this morning. Dealing with the pain, the hurts, the insecurities, the expectations, dealing with the life that existed outside of the boundaries of Jesus and saying, Jesus, I want to come back to you. I pray that that's what this time can be. If you want prayer, you can come forward and we'll be here with you as well and we'll pray for you. But I believe that this is a deeply personal work that God wants to do. And so I pray that you will take this opportunity you will take this time to reflect and to allow God to speak. But let me pray to finish off. Dear Jesus, we thank you that you came to give us a Zoe kind of a life. I pray to God that we will not be chasing anything after the real and eternal life, more and better life. I pray to God that every other pursuit, every other desire, every other temptation will be revealed for what it is, the lies of the enemy. And I pray to God that we will set our eyes, set our focus, set our faith on you and you alone. I pray to God that this will be a ministering year. This will be a healing year. This will be a breakthrough year for people that have been struggling, living outside the boundaries that you have set. And God, I pray that there will be life overflowing. I pray that there will be vitality being placed back into people. I pray that there will be freedom, freedom from oppression, freedom from oppressive thoughts, freedom from a life that is bound up. And God, I pray that your life will flow. But God, I pray this morning that there will be repentance and repentance will be flowing because you want to bring healing this morning to each and every single one of us. So convict us, speak to us, Jesus. Holy Spirit, have your way. We thank you, God. We pray this in your name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. 
follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Lift Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.